The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's Word. Hey, good morning, ACF Church. Hey, how are you guys today? I'm just glad that you're here today. We're starting off a new series called American Jesus. My name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we're just so glad that you're here today for the kickoff of this. We'll be in in this series for four weeks, and then we're going to go into the fall and uh, start a new series then. Lots of great things happening here. Also, as people are kind of coming in, you guys might just keep an eye out for squeezing some seats together as uh, as we're starting to run out of room in the room here. But uh, welcome to church. If you're new to ACF Church, we want to say welcome. We're glad that you're here. If you're new to church just in general, uh, we just want to say you are welcome here uh, just to bring your faith and your doubts and your experiences and just be part of what we are here at ACF Church. And we're going to be hanging out in Philippians chapter 4. And so if you want to open your Bibles to that, it'll also be on the screen behind me as we go through this. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 and we're going to be in one verse this morning. A lot of times we'll read through a big chunk of, of scripture and we'll unpack that. Today we're going to be just in one passage that is just packed full of truth for us as we explore who the real Jesus is. And so if you'd open up to Philippians 4, follow along with me on the screen here. Let's read this passage together. It says this in verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. Would you pray with me as we start off today? Jesus, thank you for these few moments that we have just to open your word. Thank you, God, that we can gather here today freely to talk about you, to ask questions, and to develop our faith in you. God, I just pray for everybody as they are in this space today, from the different places they've come from. God, that we would all be able to press in to hear your voice today. God, we confess there have been mistakes this week. God, many of us have have made good decisions and bad decisions. We come from different places. And Father, I thank you for the church. I thank you that this is a place of unity where we can come together around one thing, the name of Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. And bring back the sunshine, right? Oh, I'm not ready for the fall yet. I was in my yard mowing up the leaves, like trying, they're not here, you know, it's, it's not fall yet, you know, I'm not ready for it. So anyway, we're going to be asking this question in this series, who is the real Jesus? Who is the real Jesus? And this is the biggest question I believe that everyone has to ask of themselves. And, and one thing we talk about as a community is that ACF Church is a church for the churched, the unchurched, and the dechurched. And I would say that most of you fit into one of those categories. Maybe you grew up in the church, and this is all very familiar for you, showing up here, singing songs, having somebody speak to you, very familiar. Maybe you've been unchurched, and you just haven't been around this before. This is all very foreign to you. Why are we singing? Why are we standing? Why are we sitting down? The whole experience is just bizarre. And then some of you have been de-churched. You had an experience with the church when you were young. Maybe it was a bad experience and you haven't been back until recently. And there's a lot of people, as I talk to people in ACF Church, that are in that category where they've been de-churched at some point and they're trying church again here in Alaska. And we're just grateful for all those different groups that are here as a part of ACF. 
Now, now what that means is that there are a lot of different perspectives on what it means to be the church. And there are a lot of different perspectives in the room of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so if I asked a hundred different people in this room, who is Jesus? I think I'd get a hundred different answers about who he really is. And my question for you is, how do you get the first look at Jesus? When you first got your idea of who Jesus is, how do you get the first look? And I would say it's through looking at his kids. It's through getting to know the church, that we as the church are the representation of Jesus to the world. And so the question is, is that a good thing or a bad thing for people in this world? Do they, do they think good things about Jesus as they look at us, the church, or do they think negative things about Jesus? And what is it that people call Jesus' kids? Christian. This word Christian is throughout our culture. Maybe you would call yourself a Christian. If you were filling out a survey in the religious affiliation bubble, you would fill a Christian uh, in there. Maybe you would call yourself a Christian. You like that phrase. Uh, There's a whole segment of our population, though, that hate the word Christian. You realize that? Like, when people hear the word Christian, they get all kinds of different ideas and thoughts that come to mind. Maybe they think of somebody that, as they were growing up, was just trying to convert them, you know? They didn't get any love from a friend. Nobody really cared about them. They just, you know, put a Bible in their hand and said, hey, go follow Jesus, and and never really helped them in the journey. Maybe they, they think of the guy on the street corner with the sign that says, you're all going to hell, right? I don't know what your perspective is on the word Christian, but I would say for a lot of people, it's, there's a negative connotation with this word Christian. In fact, I would, I would say that a lot of people describe it like this. Let's put that slide up here. Christians are judgmental, homophobic moralists who think that they are the only ones going to heaven and secretly delight in the belief that everyone else is going to hell. Come on, yeah, it's, it's okay to laugh, right? That's, let's be honest. This is how a lot of people define Christian. And Christian, the word simply means a little Christ, like a version of Christ, a representation of Christ. And so if that's the case, if we come off like this to the culture, then how do people view Jesus? Do you think people view him the way he actually is? Or do we have a, a twisted perspective on Jesus. What's interesting about the word Christian is that it's really only used three times in the Bible. And oftentimes it's not used by those who are followers of Jesus. It's used as more of a derogatory term by people who are talking about the followers of Jesus, whereas the followers of Jesus called themselves the followers of the way. It's a different kind of terminology. And so again, there's all kinds of mixed up perspectives here when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to Jesus. And so let me ask you if you're a Christian here today and you're part of this church, do you think that you have an accurate view of Jesus? Do you think the Jesus that you follow is the real Jesus? Do we have any Thai food people in the room? Who loves Thai food? Come on. Hand raise. You got some Thai food people. I love Thai food. I've developed a passion for Thai food and I, I developed that passion here in Eagle River, which is a funny place to develop a passion for Thai food, but I'd never had Thai food till I moved to Alaska, and then I came to Eagle River, I know it's strange, and, and then I went to a restaurant locally, and I had Thai food for, for the first time. They had this red curry beef stuff that was amazing, fell in love with that, and so now it's kind of my go-to lunch place, go get some red curry from the Thai restaurant. Well, we as a pastoral staff, I think it was last year, we went to Portland, 
and went down to Portland, and it was lunchtime. We wanted to find a restaurant, and somebody brought up that there was a local Thai restaurant in Portland that was nationally known for its Thai food. This was the best Thai food, and it was supposed to be authentic street vendor-style Thai food. And so, of course, obviously, I'm down with that. I'm like, let's get some real Thai food. I'm excited about this. I love Thai food. So we go to this place, we sit down, we're reading the menu, and in the menu, it's got this bolded part that says, uh, world famous or, you know, well-known or whatever, uh, Thai chicken wings. And so we're going, we need to start off with some Thai chicken wings. And so we order three orders of these chicken wings. They come to the table, they set them down, and everybody just starts mowing down on the chicken wings. They're loving them. And they're making like food noises, right? You know, like when food's really good, it's all the, just the, the food noises as they're eating it. And everybody's chewing on these chicken wings. And about three bites in, my mind kind of catches up with my taste, bu- taste buds, and I'm like, something's wrong. Something's wrong. This, this is not right. And I, I'm biting, and I'm eating, and I'm like, oh, what, is the, what is the flavor? It's, it was something like, like if, you, if you tasted what your gym bag would taste like after sitting in a hot car for a couple days. Like there was this rotten thing going on here, and I'm just like, do you guys like these? Is this good? And they're like, oh, we love them. We love them. And I'm like, are you serious? I mean, this tastes, this tastes weird. There's something wrong with this. And they later explained it's, it's probably the fish sauce that's in it. And I guess authentic Thai food has a lot of fish sauce. And it just, I'm like, this isn't right. But what I realized is that I had fallen in love with Eagle River Thai food. Which, what I didn't realize, is not authentic Thai food. It's Americanized Thai food. It's actually more like American food than it is probably like Thai food. And so I'm like, give me my fake Thai food, because that's what I'm used to. And, And what I've realized is that in the church, here's what happens. In the church... What we tend to do is, is make Jesus into our image instead of being made into Jesus' image. I think there's a tendency that we can twist Jesus with a few little tweaks and a few little changes. We can make him a little more palatable. We can make him a little less offensive. We can make following Jesus a little less radical. And so I think there's this tendency to change him. And so the whole goal of this series is to find out who is the real Jesus. How do we get to know the real one? And so next week we're going to talk about passive Jesus. Passive Jesus is the one wearing the coexist t-shirt. He's like, hey, listen, let's just all get along. You know, I don't want to make any waves. I don't want to make any trouble. Just let everything happen around me. That's passive Jesus. Then there is the, the prepper Jesus. So prepper Jesus is, uh, he's building an underground bunker under his house. You know, he's preparing for the end. He's stockpiling AR-15s and gunpowder, right? This is prepper Jesus. He's like, I got canned goods. I got my family huddled up in the basement. As long as I'm good, we're good. And then the, the last week, we're going to talk about postmodern Jesus. And this is the Jesus that shows up, and he's kind of like, you know, hey, I'm one way to heaven, but there's a lot of ways. I mean, however you want to get there, whatever road you want to take, just pick a road, and it's going to get you there. But I'm just one way. And so that's postmodern Jesus. So these are all caricatures that I think we've created of Jesus. And what we want to do again is find out who is the real Jesus. So this week, we're talking about a Jesus that I feel like has come up a lot in my personal studies, a lot um, in my personal life and conversations that I have. And this is, this is uh, Prosperity Jesus. Prosperity Jesus. This is the Jesus that's all about me being riach, right? All about providing for me, all about giving me the best of the stuff. This is the health and the wealth Jesus. Like, I am just here to, to be successful and healthy, and, and Jesus is here to help me with that. 
And this passage in Philippians that we're going to get to, I swear we're going to get to it in just a minute, uh, it talks about two things. He talks about two stages of life, want and plenty. And many of you experienced that before. You've experienced a stage of your life where you've wanted and, and experienced stages of your life where you feel like maybe I've got more than I really need. And Paul is challenging us to follow Jesus in both of those type of situations. And so I would ask you, do you think you've bought into this prosperity Jesus, this Jesus that's here to just to make your life more comfortable and to make your life more easy? I would say one of the ways to diagnose if you have bought into this Jesus is oftentimes the way that you view your pastor. So let me unpack what this really means. So in some cultures in the United States especially, if your pastor isn't driving a Bentley and wearing a three-piece suit, then he's probably not following God. You know, he's, he's probably got unfaithfulness in his life. He's probably got some kind of sin in his life. I mean, our pastor needs to have the nicest car, the nicest shoes, the nicest clothes, the nicest house. And, and here's where this comes from. It's, it's, it's beyond just providing well for the staff of the church or the pastors, but it's, it's to this point where it's like, okay, if the pastor's supposed to be sort of a representation of Jesus, sort of the one that we're going to follow because he's trying to look like Jesus, then let's make him rich, right? Let's give him a lot of stuff and, and let's project sort of what we want Jesus to be like on the pastor and expect him to be this person of great wealth. And so in some cultures, some church cultures, that's exactly what you're going to see is, is that's a person that must be wealthy and, and he only gets respect if he's got a lot of stuff. And so people defend this perspective of Jesus is here to give me more comfort, to give me more stuff by using scripture. There's this passage in 2 Corinthians 8, 9 that says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Amen, right? Amen. Jesus got poor so I can get rich. I like that verse. Makes me comfortable. So, Again, are you guys uncomfortable? You guys are like giving me no feedback today. So I feel like this is, this is a really awkward conversation, which means that we're talking about the right thing. So anyway, this is good. But this is a passage that's often used uh, to defend this sort of prosperity Jesus, this prosperity gospel, is that Jesus became poor so that I can become rich. But again, this is a passage that's cherry-picked out of context. And in the context, what's really being said here is that Jesus became poor. He gave up everything of himself. And, and it's talking to a culture of people, many of which were poor, many of which who were poor, but they were supporting the ministry of the gospel faithfully with their finances. And what he's actually saying here is that you, whether you have much or you have little, have been faithful, and I'm challenging you to be poor, to give of yourself so that you might be spiritually rich. He's saying, listen, I want you to be faithful to support the ministry of the gospel no matter what, and, and you will be spiritually rich. And so if you read that within the context, you're going to get a completely different message than what, uh, what most people use it to mean. And this philosophy that Jesus is here to make us more comfortable and, and that, that honestly what God wants for you is for you to be healthy and for you to be wealthy is not a new concept. This is something that's been around since Jesus walked the earth. In John 9, what we see is this, this conversation where Jesus is walking down the street. He sees this blind man, and his followers say, Hey, Jesus, here's a blind guy. Um, who sinned? Who, who messed up? Was it him or was it his parents? Because clearly this can't be your plan for this man's life. 
And what Jesus literally says to them is that he is this way so that my work and my goodness and my grace might be displayed within him. The goodness of God. And then Jesus goes and he heals the man. It's not that he sinned. It's not that there's necessarily anything that he did or his parents did. It's just that God's work might be displayed through this man. And I honestly think we propagate this perspective of Jesus in a lot of different ways. I think we as the church are guilty many times. As, as the leadership of the church, we share testimonies. And I want to ask you, have you ever been in a, in a church that shares a testimony like this? So I started following Jesus, and my life was a mess, and my marriage was a mess, and I didn't have any money, and things were falling apart, and I didn't have a job. And then I followed Jesus, and now my marriage is still a mess. And my life's sort of a mess. And I don't have any money, and I still don't have a job. Who's heard that testimony in church? Almost nobody, right? This isn't, this isn't the story we like to tell. But any of you who are in the room who are followers of Jesus know that that's reality sometimes, right? You know that maybe as God works, he, there's going to be some things that, that are challenged in your life. Maybe things are going to get better in some ways. But often as we look at the disciples, we look at those who follow Jesus, that things didn't get better. They actually got worse. They got tougher and more difficult. And so it's really difficult to, to, to propagate this kind of perspective that Jesus just wants you to be healthy and comfortable and wealthy right now. Uh, one pastor writes this. I just, I found this recently. He says this, when we pray, believing that we have already received what we are praying, God has no choice but to make our prayers come to pass. It is a key to, to getting results as a Christian. I'm like, well, that's interesting. So even this even goes beyond your wealth to your faith. This idea that, again, you, you just have to believe. And if you believe hard enough, then God's going to do what you want. Isn't that good news? I mean, just believe hard enough, convince yourself of things hard enough, and God will do what you want. So I just want to spend five minutes and try to believe God for paying off this building. And can we just spend like five minutes here as a church and try to convince ourselves that God's going to pay off this building this morning and we're going to be completely covered? Anybody think that's going to work out for us? I don't. It might. If it does, I, that's awesome. But here's the deal. Again, this isn't how God works. You can't manipulate God. You can't convince him to do what you want. This whole, this whole plan is not about you. So this is a pervasive perspective that we see throughout our culture, that Jesus is this prosperity guy here to give you health, to give you wealth, to make your life more comfortable. And that's just not, just not the case. So here's the question, now that I've made a mess of all of this. Uh, does God want you to prosper? Do you think God wants you to prosper? Do you want prosperity? Anybody want prosperity? Raise your hand. Come on. It's okay. Are you uncomfortable? <laughs> Can I want prosperity? It's okay to want prosperity. We all kind of want to prosper. And we're going to dig into what that means. But does God want you to prosper? So let me look at this like a parent. So I'm a, I'm a daddy. I've got three little kids. And my oldest child is Cadence. And Cadence is eight years old. And let's consider this. What if Cadence grows up and she's healthy and she's rich and she's educated and she's got a really nice car and you know she's got this amazing handsome husband you know and, and she's got all of the stuff but she's greedy and she's selfish and she's uncaring and she just wants to put me in a nursing home like what what if that is cadence 
and she just wants to get rid of her parents. What if that is Cain? Do I feel good about what she's become? No. Any parent would say, of course not. Of course that's not the kid I want to create. I'm, I want them to be a, a well-rounded person. Now, let's say my, my, my son Grayson, he's three right now. I'm just thinking way off in the distance. But let's say Grayson grows up, and let's say that he, he goes through school, and he works really hard to get C's. And he gets C's consistently, and he works really hard, but, but that's all he can do. And let's say that he gets out of school, and he gets a job, and he's pushing carts at Walmart. And he faithfully pushes carts at Walmart every day. He shows up early to work. His coworkers love him. He cares well for the other people at work. He pushes carts for the glory of God every day. And let's say he's got a few health problems, you know, struggling with his health a little bit, uh, some aches and some pains, but he's working through it. And he loves people and he loves Jesus. Am I pleased with who my son has become? I am. I feel like this is how we need to view this, is that God has deeper things in mind for us. That we, we just, we think our goal is to, to avoid want and to pursue plenty. I mean, if I can just avoid wanting, you know, anything, that I've got everything that I need and pursue plenty. I like to have everything around me. I like to feel very comfortable. <laughs> if we can just do that, then I will be happy. But I, I believe that God has a different perspective I believe in God's eyes that there are no rich and there are no poor. There are only the generous and the greedy. And as we read scripture, those are the categories that exist. We don't see Jesus going to the rich man or going to the poor man and playing favorites. We see Jesus coming to all of humanity, no matter what socioeconomic uh, place that you fit into the culture. He says, listen, I am here for all of you. And we see the poor rejecting Jesus. We see the rich rejecting Jesus. And what you're going to see in this world around you is that there are righteous rich. There are people who righteously follow Jesus. They've got a lot of resources, a lot of money, a lot of finances, and yet they use it to expand the kingdom. They use it to bless people and to help people. And then you're going to see unrighteous rich. Those are the people who hold it all to themselves, right? Those that keep it to themselves. And they believe that every dollar that they make was made by them and given to them so that they could enjoy it personally. And so they keep it to themselves. And then we see also in the poor, we see the righteous poor, those who have very little, but they give away what they can. Those who don't have much, but they are, they are generous and they help others. And then they see, we also see the unrighteous poor. We see those who have nothing and every dollar they get, they hold tight to it, right? It's like, man, I don't have many of these. I got to hold on tight. This is, this is all I got. And so they don't act generously with their stuff. So we're going to see that those are, those are different categories throughout Scripture. Jesus challenges us to be people who are generous throughout Scripture. So we also see this, too. I'm talking about prosperity Jesus. There's another kind of Jesus, and it's also called the, uh, the poverty Jesus. And maybe you've seen this propagated within the church. And so people have, have compensated from prosperity Jesus and gone over here to poverty Jesus, which means if you're following Jesus, then you don't drive a decent car. Uh, you don't have a decent house. Uh, you don't have really much money. You don't go out on vacation. Um, you got to feel bad every time you order, order a hamburger at McDonald's because there's a kid starving in China somewhere. Like you, you can't enjoy anything because those who follow Jesus faithfully have nothing. And so we kind of compensate over here to this poverty Jesus. And I, I think a lot of people, it, it comes from this perspective that uh, we read in Matthew 19. Jesus sees this, this young ruler 
It's often called the rich young ruler passage. And this guy, he's got money, he's got influence, and, uh, and he's young. So uh, you've got this younger guy, and Jesus comes across him, and he says, Hey, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you guys remember what Jesus says? He says, Sell everything. Get rid of everything that you own. Give it to the poor. And what does it say the man did? It says that he walked away sad because he had great wealth. And, and I just, and it's interesting. I think of this interaction. I think of the young man. He's like talking to Jesus. And then he kind of turns around. And as he's walking away, there's this crowd around Jesus. And I just, he's kind of doing the walk of shame away from Jesus. And Jesus looks at the people around him. And he's like, hey, listen. It is very difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is very difficult. And so what people do is they take that to mean that if you're rich, you probably won't enter the kingdom of heaven. So what you should do is just not have anything for yourself. So how do we balance these things out? What do we do with all this? I think we have to go back to this Philippians text. I think this is where it all comes together. And so this passage in Philippians is written by a guy named Paul. And he's believed to be in prison as he's writing this. And this guy's been through some junk. If you know anything about the story of Paul, uh, Paul has experienced a lot of pain. Let me just read a few things. He's been in danger of death. He's been three times beaten with rods, beaten an unknown number of times by hand. He was once stoned, not in the Alaska way. Three times he was shipwrecked, been on frequent journeys, lived in danger from rivers, robbers, the sea, and those who acted like friends to undermine his ministry. He's worked in harsh conditions, gone without sleep, food, water, spent endless nights in the cold with no shelter. Who wants to quit at that point, right? I mean, come on, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Some of us would quit at that point. Some people quit ministry when they're asked to show up on time. So it's like, I don't know. I mean, no sleep, beaten with rods. That's a little worse. And so Paul has dealt with some junk, and he knows pain in ways that most of us have not experienced pain. And he's gone through pain, most of which because he's so dedicated to sharing the good news of Jesus with the world around him. And the first thing that we read about Paul is that In verse 12, it says, I know how to be brought low. And that's my first point today. I know how to be brought low. That's what we must know. How to be brought low. So as we just said, Paul gets this. He gets pain. He gets this this experience where the world is falling apart around him, and yet all he's got to cling to is Jesus. He says he was brought low. And it's interesting, the terminology brought low infers circumstances that you can't control. Like, it's not just that you went through something that you chose, it's that you were brought through something. It's that the things around you caused a, a very difficult time in your life. Maybe, maybe you experienced some kind of health issue. Or, or maybe you, you went through something, you lost your job. Or maybe you're going through a divorce or something and you don't want it. And yet it's, it's happening around you. There's things that are going on. You're being brought low. And some of you connect with that. You're like, I connect with Paul. Yeah, my life stinks. So, yeah, me and Paul, we're, we're together on this one. But what he's saying is he's, he knows how to be brought low. How many of you guys know that you can be brought low and not know how to be brought low, right? Have you seen somebody be brought low, go through some difficult things, and it just destroys them? It destroys their relationships. It, it destroys the way that they look at the world, the way that they see their lives. Yet there's a way, Paul is saying, to be brought low. Let me read this in Luke 16.10. It says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. 
And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest much. The Bible kind of hurts sometimes, doesn't it? Man, so what's being read there is this idea that you, when you have little, you must be faithful with the little that you have. When you have much, it's a chance to be faithful with much. And so what I would say this is to know how to be brought low is to know how to be faithful in the low times. To know how to follow God in in times of want. To know how to trust God in times of struggle. To know how to be generous in forgiveness and in faith and in finances when you have very little to offer. When you're struggling to forgive that person. When you're struggling to really believe that God has the best for you in mind. When you're struggling because you don't have two dimes to rub together, but you're like, I, I see this person in need, or I see this opportunity, I need to be a part of it, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to struggle through it. I'm going to do it. And he's saying, if you're not going to be faithful when you have little, you certainly won't be faithful when you have much. So I think the key to that is to be faithful with little. Number two is this, know how to abound. We need to know how to abound. Philippians 4.12 says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So there's being brought low and understanding that. There's also knowing how to abound. Have you guys ever noticed that you're only thankful for your health when you start getting sick? Anybody else deal with this? I only think about being healthy when I'm coming down with a cold. I'm like, man, I, I don't even know what it feels like uh, to, to be somebody who is always sick, always struggling. But when I get a little sick, I think, man, I'm, I'm so thankful when I'm not. You know, I'm thankful for those times in my life when I'm not sick, when I feel good, when my body doesn't have aches and pains. I, this is just human nature, isn't it? To forget about what you have when it's right in front of your face. To not know how to be thankful for the things that are right in front of you. So what he's saying here is that he has learned the secret in every circumstance, to deal with plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He knows how to deal with this stuff and how to still be faithful. But we know this. We know it's a, it's a struggle. And we, I, I believe that there's a weight to bear when we have a lot of stuff. And I think that's what Jesus was saying about this rich young man as he walked off, as he's like, hey, see that guy? He's got a lot. And what I want you guys to know is that we, the church, of America and this church in Eagle River, we are the rich young ruler. You might be saying, Brian, I ain't got a dollar right now, but you are the rich young ruler. We, by the world's standards, are the rich. And so he's saying, listen, if you're not going to be faithful with little, you won't be faithful with much. And I'll be honest with you, the more that I get doesn't make me more faithful. Like, sometimes I think that, God, if you just gave me this, I would be faithful with that. God, if you just gave me more money, then I would give. If you just gave me more money, then I would serve. If you just gave me more resources, then I would give them away. And if I'm honest, this passage proves to be so true that the more that God gives me doesn't equal more generosity. And this is a struggle, I'll be honest with you guys, in my own life. I have always struggled with this part of my life. Um, My wife, Amanda, I always say that uh, the most generous part of me is my wife. (laughs) Because I'll be honest, I just, I like comfort. And I like to surround myself with, with, uh, with backup plans and, and, and finances to, to, to protect myself if anything ever goes wrong. And we're always in church or at, you know, at an event where somebody's asking for, for uh, financial support or we'll see a friend that is in need. And Amanda starts doing the, like, 
the elbow. Anybody get the elbow in church? Like, see, see, we need to do this. So she gives me the elbow. Praise God for her elbow because I'm telling you what, I need that in my life. And it used to offend me and it used to upset me. But what I, what I realized is that I need her challenging me. I need her calling that out. I need her, her looking me in the eye and saying, Brian, do you realize that none of what we had came from us? Do you realize that none of what we have is, is, is safe for another day? It all can go away. At any minute, we could lose everything. So why don't in the meantime, we act faithful with our stuff? Why don't we support other people? Why don't we support the ministry of the gospel? And I'm always like, all right, that's fine. You know, I mean, I've kind of begrudgingly given. I do. Like, it's hard, and it's okay sometimes to do that. And I think it disciplines that, that selfishness within us. You guys still with me? This is a hard talk, I know. But this is a very important talk because, come on, let's be honest, that materialism is rampant in our society, right? Let's be honest. Everywhere you look is, you can have more. You can buy more. I've been working on my garage. I've been re-drywalling my garage. And I'm listening to the radio, and every five minutes a commercial comes on that you can have any car on the lot for $199 down. And I'm like, awesome, a $50,000 loan, $199 down. That's just what we need in our lives right now. But people do it, right? And we go for it. And some of you guys already did it. So I don't know, you're going, man, what was I thinking? Uh, yeah, so I heard that commercial. And then I went on a drive and I got a car. So I get it. I get this is, this is really difficult stuff. Here's the key. I think that abundant grace is the key to bearing the weight of abundant prosperity. Abundant grace. So we're going to dig deeper here. We're going to dig deeper because I don't think this is just a discipline issue. If you're hearing me say, man, you just need to give more away and you just need to, to force this behavior, I think sometimes that's the case. We have to discipline ourselves. But on a deeper level, there's a reason that we're not generous. If you're not a generous person, if you're like, Brian, if I'm honest, I'm not generous with things. You know, I don't forgive people easily. I don't follow God with, with faith. You know, I don't give of my finances when I see a need. I just, I don't do it. I avoid it. I look the other way. I just ignore it. You have to ask yourself, why is it that way? Why am I not generous? I believe that it's a grace issue. I believe that generosity is a grace issue. Because at the core of this thing, the core of this whole conversation is this question, what have you been saved from? What have you been saved from? And I think as believers in Jesus, as those that follow Christ and have said, hey, hey, look, at I need grace. I need Jesus to, to forgive me. I need all of his forgiveness on my life. I think as those that have received that, we have to go, okay, what does that mean? What kind of life do I live now? So the third point is this, know how to be generous. We have to know how to be brought low. We have to be knowing how to be prosperous and to, and to, to have a lot of stuff. And we also need to know how to be generous. 2 Corinthians 9.10 says this, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. What a great passage, right? He's talking about what you've been given as seed. He's talking about it as seed. I don't know how many of you are farmers or grew up near a farm, but this is, this is terminology that many people don't get. But in their culture, they understood this, that nothing grows without seed. 
Everything takes an investment to grow. You can't just expect the field to grow if you don't plant anything. And so he's comparing everything that you've been given to seed. Like it's all made to be put in the ground and it's never going to grow if it's not planted. A pile of seed sitting on the concrete is never going to grow. It's got to be planted. So he's saying, listen, plant your seed in the ground. And then he says it's going to produce a harvest of righteousness. Once you plant it, righteousness pops up. Which sounds a little weird, right? Does anybody get excited about that? Is that a little hard to get excited about? So the pastor said I should invest in the kingdom of God. When I plant it in the ground, my, my return on my investment is righteousness. Anybody really stoked about that? <laughs> Let's be honest. It's kind of like, is that like a consolation prize? Is that like a keychain you get for making a big, big investment into, you know, like World Vision or something? Thanks for the keychain. I just gave a thousand bucks. Like, I mean, that's, that's kind of how we read that at first. But if we unpack what that really means, it goes really deep. He says you're going to harvest righteousness. And righteousness is simply holiness. That we're going to be right before God. So what he's saying is that when you do this, you're going to be refining righteousness in your life. You're going to be rehearsing the holiness that God has already provided to you through Christ Jesus. It's something that's, it's a theological term that many of you know, it's called sanctification. So that's your 10 cent word for the day. So sanctification is simply the process of growing to be more like Christ. And so what we know is that as believers, we receive Jesus He washes us white as snow, Scripture says. We are made clean before God, and he declares us holy. Then now all the stuff that you've done, all the mistakes that you've made, all that junk in your life, it's like it never existed. But then as Christians, what we also see is that there's a lot of work left to do, right? Amen? Lots of work left to do. And so this is this journey that we're on of coming to terms with what Christ has already done within us, of owning the holiness that he has declared for us. So he's like, hey, it's not that by giving or sowing, you're actually making yourself righteous because Christ has already done that. He's already paid it full. This isn't some way to earn your way into heaven. He's saying you will grow in your holiness. You will grow in your understanding of what Christ has already done within you, which I I just love that. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And so he says as you become holy and more righteous, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be more generous. That's just how it works. See, this is, where, this is where the key is, is. I believe that, again, you can get beaten over the head with the, like, be more generous, be more giving. And you're like, thanks. I just feel like, you know, a jerk today as I left church. But nothing changes. Or maybe you get motivated for a couple seconds, and you're like, yeah, I should really do this. Change the world. Where's lunch? Right? And then you go home, and nothing's, nothing's different. Because I think at the core of this, again, is a grace issue, is this deep understanding that Christ has saved you, that you are declared holy and right before God, and because of that, you couldn't possibly be anything but generous. How does somebody who has come from so far, been saved from so much, not be a generous person, a giving person? How does somebody who has been forgiven for so much not be somebody who is a forgiving person? Do you guys get that? Like when you lack generosity, when you lack forgiveness, It's a grace issue. It's lacking perspective of what Christ has done in your own life. True prosperity doesn't come through your finances. It comes through your faithfulness. 
This is kind of where I want to close today with this with you guys. True prosperity doesn't come through your finances. It comes through your faithfulness. And this is what I believe God wants for us as a church. Is he just wants us to be faithful. I don't care if you have very little or very much. Are you a faithful person? Are you being generous? Are you giving to others, helping others with what you have? This is difficult stuff. I believe true prosperity happens at a soul level. That all of what we desire in this world, none of it compares to having a soul that's at peace with God. None of it compares. There's not a granite countertop or a car or a piece of real estate that can provide a soul that's at peace with God. Only Jesus can do that for us. And so this is really where I want to leave you guys today. I know this is, this is difficult stuff because if you're honest, we all have room to grow here, right? We all have room to grow. We all have unforgiveness in our hearts for somebody. We all have places in our lives where Jesus is calling us out to do something, to step out in faith, and we've withheld our faith in God. We've said, no, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. We all have things in our life, places where we should be generous, needs that we could meet, but we just choose not to because it's too comfortable right where we're at. I believe Jesus wants us to be a community of generosity. I think as the church, as we, the church of Eagle River and the church of ACF, step out into our community and are generous, you know what? People are going to see Jesus in us because Jesus is generous. And this is how we dismantle this prosperity Jesus or this poverty Jesus. This is how we dismantle this view that people have of Jesus. We just, we go and be generous in the name of Christ. And it might be with a little, it might be with a lot. But then we repaint this picture so that people see the true Christ that came for the sins of the world, which I am so grateful that Christ was so generous with us. And we say it every week in the announcements. Bryce gets up, he says, hey, ACF, we're going to give in just a minute as an act of worship to God because he has been so generous to us. Do you feel that this morning? I would say if you don't, spend a few minutes as we worship. If you don't feel that, like, man, God has been so generous to me. If you, if you don't know that in a deep soul level this morning, just, I would encourage you to just sit in your seat for a few minutes and to just consider what God has done for you. Consider the blessings in your life. Look at your kids. Look at your wife. Look at the house that you do have. Look at the things that you do have. Look at the health that you do have. And just thank God for a minute that he has been so generous to a person that deserves nothing. Can we just pray together? Jesus, thanks for your grace today. God, I confess that, uh, that I oper- operate in greed instead of generosity more than often. God, and uh, I just need you to change my heart. God, we are servants to Christ. And as those who have been covered by his blood. God, you have changed us and we no longer make this world our home. God, we are no longer in the business of building an empire here on earth, God, but we're about building into the kingdom of God. God, so would you give us greater perspective? Help us to take our eyes off of ourselves for just a few minutes and to look up to you, our God, and to say thank you for giving to us. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your unending grace, grace so great that we could never out what you've done for us. 
And I just want to pray this prayer out of 3 John 1-2 for you today. It says this, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Jesus, may we be a church and a community of people who walk in the truth of Christ and those who respond with generosity to our brothers. We'll pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.